Hey, hello, welcome. How are you doing, everybody? We are brought to you this week by Go Deep Flotation Therapy. Flotation therapy, if you don't know anything about it, Google it. Use the phone for good use. Google flotation therapy, sensory deprivation. It is a fantastic, fantastic therapy for physical and mental health, but also as an experience, something to do that's different. If you've got any ailments, if you're a trainer, if you're an athlete, if you've got um, any kind of mental um, difficulties, issues, depression, anxiety, amazing. Google it. Our friends at Go Deep, who sponsor this show and have done from episode one, will give you a discount of 10% if you use the code word Chew. Tell them Chew the chat sent you and you will have an amazing experience and you will definitely meet wonderful people. And at the very least, like I say, Google it, learn about it, chat to someone about it, ask a question. It is an amazing thing. And at the current time, really, really important if we're going to take our health into our own hands. So godeepflotation.com. Code word CHEW, 10% off. Our second sponsors, linkandcryolab.co.uk. Similar, similar, always similar vibes. It's another therapy, although it's not so therapeutic in the sense that you're laid down in a nice warm um, flotation tank for an hour or 90 minutes. You're actually going into an upright standing chamber for three minutes and being blasted from anywhere between minus 120 to minus 150 at, um, at Lincoln Cryolab with liquid nitrogen and it is one hell of an experience and again amazing for recovery for sleep for ailments for mental health depression anxiety again google 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 use google for what it is for finding out information and forming informed opinions and seeking out the unknown and it is amazing it's a fantastic fantastic thing and if um anybody's been listening um recently last three or four episodes i think i've talked a little bit about twist my ankle and went and rehabilitated using the float and the cryo amazing fantastic stuff and i'll be giving them as christmas presents to family members this year because we need it more than ever everybody's mental health has took a battering more than we'd ever even understand um it'd be a long time before we can look back and realize the impact of the mental health that's happened in this time code word chew at lincolncryolab.co.uk will get you 10 percent off check it out okay we are, I think, I made an, I've done intros, I've done a couple of intros today and I think I've done them fucking back to front, wrong way around, fuck knows, it's been pretty mad. We went out for a day out with the kids to Pennell's Garden Centre and like the fact we went out for an hour and a half to a garden centre kind of threw everything into disarray and I thought I'd cram, I'd cram trying to get some of this done and I've done a couple and I don't know if I did Charlotte's feedback on on next week oh, anyway fuck it this episode is with dr persia jamshidi from new york persia is a cancer research scientist um who's done a phd in molecular biology and she is um yeah an interesting lady and i was keen to talk to her as so i'm a big fan of jordan peterson and actually to me uh, and before I go there, I should fill you in. She also has a project, a startup project called Positive Masculinity Academy, which I found through Facebook. Lots of positive memes on there and sort of thumb, thumbnails of ideas and cultural uh, statistics, which to me echoed much of the work that I take in from Jordan Peterson and, and similar people who are talking about the patriarchy, the current climate of polarisation and equality. 
And I found Persia's page at Positive Masculinity Academy to be very similar. Um, now, as you will find out listening to this podcast, when we got talking, I did pose that question to to Persia. You know, what did she think of Jordan's work? And she was very diplomatic in her response, but you make your own mind up. I felt like she was kind of maybe not impressed, which I thought was unusual because I feel like in the same way as I think Persia would argue, she is arguing for equality and for everybody to be seen as vital to one another. I feel like that's what Jordan Peterson is saying as well. But one's coming from a male, one's coming from a female. So isn't it interesting, even at that high academic level, we still don't seem to make much progress. Or at least that's my that's my insight. But you make of it what you will as you listen to this podcast. But what a lovely lady. Awesome for her to give us her time from New York. And I, I really took a lot from it and really enjoyed the chat. And I hope you do too. Um, we, we covered, we covered quite a lot. We we covered quite a lot. We touched on feminism, but we kept it, we kept it with, with masculinity and being a father and what is the role of a father. And obviously we went and touched into how technology is changing that today. So that was interesting. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm at odds with that. The technology thing for me, I'm wrestling with it all the time in, in the back of my mind. I drop back to it. How's it impacting everything? As listeners will know, you know, taking our kids out of school, all sorts going on. And and this is one of those conversations that gave me food for thought. So I hope it does for you too as well, guys. Um, next week, uh, we've got MMA fighter uh, and cage steel champion Ryan Crane coming on, which is fantastic. So you're going to enjoy that. And again, the contrast on these conversations is enormous. And I really appreciate everybody joining us. We've had... Um, hell of a lot of messages as the years wrap from Spotify and from YouTube and I think we've hit like two, 2.9 million minutes in YouTube video watches or something bonkers and I'd just like to say thank you so much to everybody who's subscribed everybody who's joining us each and every day it really means a lot and sharing the videos and what have you it's great so you know if you're listening in Apple iTunes drop a a review, you know, a sentence in there and hit the, the review, five stars, four stars, one star, whatever it is. All that feedback really helps us to to refine what it is I'm doing here and deliver um, our message and our story and share. We're just trying to share the human experience. It's fucking bonkers. It's more and more bonkers by the fucking minute, never mind the day at the moment. So it's great that we're, we're forming a little community and we're all sat in on these conversations just trying to pick out the bones and maybe drag something nutritious back to our own lives and turn a corner or maybe hit a new road. Who knows? But thank you so much. YouTube videos go out on Friday night. Head over there, hit subscribe, hit, hit. I'm getting, can you hear that buzzing? That's my phone. That's not supposed to be buzzing. Skype messages. Oh, I'm getting messages about the Darren G podcast with James English number three. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to check that out and I should, I suggest you guys do as well. James English, Darren G, number three. I think it'd be really interesting. Anyway, I digress. We're going to crack on. I'm not going to hang about because, like I say, I've been fucking about in here and I don't know where I am with which intros what and all the rest of it. So thank you very much for the support. We lead into Christmas. What can I say? Little by little, we will, we will, we will move towards something that feels normal, I'm sure, over time. I'm going to play you a track today that I think slots over this conversation nicely it's classic it's old school it's the sound of silence simon and garfunkel so enjoy thank you to dr persia jamshidi thank you to you guys for listening supporting subscribing and sharing without further ado 
This is episode number 42 of the Chew the Chat podcast with Dr. Persia Jamshidi. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone. I'm going to introduce you to this to the show, Doctor Persia Jamsidi. Am I saying that correctly? Correct. Okay. Um, you're a classically trained scientist uh, with a master's degree in genetics. 
you have a PhD in molecular biology and as a cancer researcher being your 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 main point of work but you you've sort of started to move towards masculinity and you're obviously the founder of the positive masculinity academy which is how I came across you uh, and found that fascinating and that's why I wanted to get you onto the chat and talk to you today about your journey through the academic world your journey in your family your journey in life and where we stand with your work now and you know where where does that lead you in the future and more importantly where does it lead men and how's it how can it help us in the current climate wonderful so basically and overall um i grew up in a non-religious family which allowed me to form my own perspective of life and uh, a lot less indoctrination um, than I would have. And I very much am appreciative of that um, to my parents. I was also raised to and um, by a father who is very old school, but definitely a feminist. But if you call him a feminist, he will not accept it because that is to him. He doesn't need a label to respect women. He didn't, he is very secure. That's what I came out later in my uh, research to find out what a real alpha male is, as opposed to the stereotype um, is basically a very secure man who has, who was not threatened by women and um, that not an alpha, but is a feminist man. This is just a man who's not threatened by women. And not only he does not discourage women, he encourages them to um, overcome whatever obstacles the society puts front of them, in front of them. So my dad always told me that um, you're better than boys. <laughs> there was a time as a child, I thought I could actually even physically take on a boy who was much taller than me because it just, in my mind, didn't connect that he's taller, he's bigger, he has bigger muscles. Um, I, I just didn't have that inhibition that there's something that he can do that I can't. Um, so that was a very freeing in that aspect of bringing, um, and I very much appreciate that. Um, I was never told <clears throat> there is something that I should be doing be doing as a woman i was told i can do whatever i want to uh, it's my choice um or there is something that men can do and i can't and so i i didn't have those restrictions i didn't have um the religious religious restrictions so i was able to always um feel free to be who i am and that was very helpful in being able to view other people as who they are. Um, but it was, I went to uh, undergrad biology, just, I, my dad is a surgeon, so it was very um, natural for me. I liked it. I liked biology. It was very natural for me to go that route. Um, master's, genetics, biology, uh, PhD, seven years of 18-hour um, days. And in 2016, just for out of personal curiosity, 
um, I started reading about men and why do I personally have so much problem understanding men? Um, and the curiosity and reading uh, turned in, I came across statistics um, that were specific to men in America. And then I checked in Europe and other places. Uh, the statistics are pretty similar um, that men have such a high suicide rate. Um, in society, we are always told men are the privileged gender. Um, they have better jobs, they have better opportunities, and they do. Um, so why such a high suicide rate? If you're so privileged, and, and you are, why is your privilege not saving you? Um, why isn't your privilege not allowing you to enjoy life to the point that you don't feel compelled to end it? And that just didn't make sense. So I looked around and in every country in the world, men have about 80, 85% of all suicide rate except China, which I don't know why. Uh, that would require moving to China and um, <laughs> doing a very thorough cultural study. But the rest of the world is the same. And then I realized that the homelessness is higher for men. Um, in, in America, the rate of suicide for white men, uh, for Native American men is the highest, but then the second highest is white men. Um, and so when it comes to race, white men are considered the most privileged in the United States. So why they have the second highest suicide rate? It just does not make sense to me. Uh, so it came, it turned from a personal curiosity, uh, something personal that I wanted to find out just for my benefit into a bigger curiosity, delving into data, um, start talking to men and after a while, I developed a questionnaire and a few men that I had talked to, they would send their buddies or their brother or their cousin to talk to me and they wouldn't tell them why. They would just go talk to her and they wouldn't really say more. Um, and that just led one thing to another. And I, there was such a huge demand to talk to me as um, and I would ask them to sign a uh, release for research uh, because I'm not a therapist. I just want to make that very clear. Um, and the demand to just open up, contacting me to open up was surprising. So it became a side project and I started actually um, designing a research project um, Although I'm a cancer scientist, but I know how to do research and the fundamental of how to design a research project is the same. You just, instead of plugging in um, cancer data, you plug in some other kind of data. Um, so it turned into something so big that, and I got so much positive feedback and so much need was felt that Everybody told me men don't open up, men don't talk. That is not my experience. If a man finds a safe space, men are extremely sensitive and intuitive, knowing that whether the person they're talking to is safe or not. If they feel an ounce of judgment 
in any way, shape, or form, they will not share anything. But if they feel that they're talking to a safe person, um, in my experience, speaking now in the past four years to over 60,000 men globally, it's like a dam waiting to break open. Um, and after a while, I realized that this is something that I can do even better than cancer research. And uh, as dedicated as I was to cancer, uh, there are plenty of other colleagues who are doing a fantastic job. But this is something I have not seen at the scale and the way that I'm doing. And I believe that there's a lot of work to be done and I just couldn't put it down. So that's a submission so of what the questionnaire you I, I i obviously in researching you myself and reading your work i filled in the survey on on your site as well um i think i did it just today and i found it really quite intriguing um it's reasonably in depth you know there's a lot of questions in there and they're broken down into categories so what are the categories on there persia for everybody listening um there are a lot of understanding of uh, a lot of questions about who do you th- think you are as a man is your understanding of your masculinity what society told you and groomed you unfortunately that is the correct uh, way of saying it or do you know your natural masculine identity without any of the indoctrination of because what people love to do to teenage boys is tell them how to be a man that is, teenage boys are bombarded by all kinds of unsolicited advice on how to be a man. This is how a man is. Um, this is how a man acts. And they, they don't have the opportunity to shine and be who they are and understand that my masculine identity may be very different from my brother and very different from my father or grandfather. And that is as respectable. Um, so questions are designed, whether it's on the survey on the website or questions that I have a different set of, a little bit more detailed set of questionnaires that I have when I work with a man, um, is for me to extract and understand whether he knows truly who he is as a man, not as a person, as a man, because you're obviously your trait as a human being, there are a lot of it shared with me as a woman, and there are some of it specific to you as a man, your masculine identity. So I have seen that men, especially in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s, um, they are not very comfortable or confident about their masculine identities. There is a persona they put on to fit in and be respected that they think is expected of them because they were groomed. And that is exhausting. That is so exhausting. Um, And that is what one of the reasons they love talking and opening up uh, because they're just sick and tired of it. Mm. Um, Another thing is a relationship. What is expected? There, I believe the traditional masculinity has put a lot of unrealistic expectations that may have applied at some point a millennia of ago, a millennia, a thousand years ago, or a couple of thousand, uh, 
few hundred years ago, but having the same expectations today as it was back then, while our lifestyles have changed, expectations have changed, what you need to provide as a man has a completely different definition. It's just that is a pressure on top of so many other pressures that may drive a man to his breaking point. Uh, there are questions about sex. Um, I always thought as a woman, um, we are the one who were told to be modest, don't talk about sex, being slut-shamed. And women do a lot of problems with sex. But um, and, and I always thought men are encouraged when it comes to sex. And they are encouraged as long as it's one type of sex. Very alpha, domina dominating, domineering, um, overpowering, um, very take charge. There's one kind of sex that is glorified, accepted, encouraged, and you can do. But there are so many sexual identities, so many um, different kinds of proclivities that people have that men get into li lifetime of marriage and they can't tell their wives what is it that they really like. They really want. Mm. I've had men in marriages after 30 years, and this is a good marriage, that they told me things that they haven't told their wife. Imagine keeping that mm. kind of intimacy away from your spouse for 30 years. I so what, what is that? Why, why do you think we do that, Persia? What is it? What, when we say, and uh, having filled in your questionnaire earlier today, you know, the pressure of society that you point out and the idea that society has pushed so much pressure, not just on men, on the female as well, but when we say society, who is it? Who is it predominantly? Are men putting this pressure on men? You know, I've, I've been in sports teams in the past and the changing room is full of the guys, you know, and there's, there is a certain level. And I think people do put on a certain skin to be around the other guys in certain environments. So it is it is such a strange thing to apply that we are applying the pressure to ourselves as well, aren't we, as men? The pressure is applied by the culture and you and I both uphold that culture. Yeah. I want you to live, as a woman, I was told a man has to be a certain way. So I expect you to live up to that. You expect you to live up to that. Your friends want you to see, want to see you to live up to that because, because they're trying to live up to that. And if you don't, it makes them uncomfortable. Mm. So it's a, it's a culture. It's a traditional masculinity, a.k.a. patriarchy. That is technically at the root of it is responsible indirectly. And I have proven it with my research. Um, responsible for such a high suicide rate. Wow. In the United States, UK, Israel, and Saudi Arabia, the same. It's amazing how patriarchy can go through different cultural um, culture and religion and do the same damage. Wow. So when you're talking to somebody who's, as you said it, in a, in a, in a good marriage, a 30 year marriage, and, and a gentleman is essentially telling you things about his deepest, 
you know, most uh, intimate mind. How does he end up there? What is it that's doing that? How how does he not be able to communicate that to his wife, who he's in a healthy relationship with? What is 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 it? How is that happening? Well, the common denominator was the way his father raised them. Mm-hmm. His, he could never see his father be the be the way he wants to be naturally, or have the proclivities that his he has. So if he couldn't picture himself as his father, someone, um, if he kind of likes a certain kind of sex, if he doesn't want to do sports, if, because usually men your age or um, even older are raised around the world with very strict stoic fathers. And they can't imagine the values that he has instilled in his son or father figures, grandfather, and the way they have seen those older men make fun of either a woman or feminized, feminized a man that they don't like, they don't think is man enough. And being a woman, because being a woman to them in the culture of patriarchy is inferior. So therefore, being a sissy, a gay, gay, or uh, feminized, or like a woman, they're all insult. So being anything feminine is insult to a man. So when whether they were raised and told that way, or they've sat with their fathers and grandfather, and they're having a beer or or dinner, and father and grandfather makes a comment about neighbor's son, who is feminized. Um, that is just instills a deep fear of another man thinking of him that way. So he has no problem because of this attack on masculinity, because whatever he does is an attack on his masculinity. um, And that has caused so many problems. It's not an attack on him as a human. It's an attack on him as a man. Mm. Those are two different things. For men, everything is an attack on your masculinity. For men, you have to prove your masculinity every day. I don't have to prove my femininity to anyone ever. But you, happen. it can happen that you have to prove your masculinity every single day. And the biggest problem, the common denominator with men, is my favorite subject to address and talk about insecure masculinity. And what I've done with my research is to separate, to help men understand, to separate their masculinity with their nature as a human being. You can be however you want. Your masculinity should not be attacked. It has nothing to do with your masculinity. There are no real men. Because then what's the opposite? Unreal men? What is man up? If you don't man up, what are you, what are you doing if you don't man up? Yeah. What is the opposite of that? Why are we using that? Uh, be a man. Okay, if I feel compelled to tell you be a man, that means what? You were an inferior woman up to that this point, and I just reminded you to be a man. Everything, every attack on men is an attack on masculinity. On women, for example, when it comes to sex, it's an attack on my morality. I can be called slut or other words. 
It's an attack on my morality, on my integrity, but not on my femininity. Interesting. So, but for men, it's not just an attack on his integrity, not morality, not just morality. It's his essence of a man. And that has caused a lot of insecurity to prove it every day, to defend it, to um, link it to outside influences. I have so I've talked to so many men who are very gentle spirits, and when you look at them, they are big, bulky tattoos. They they they're just trying to prove to themselves that they're a man. Yeah, they do extreme sports. They put their lives and their health in danger to prove that I'm a man, and that has caused. Um, the level of insecurity in men, that is a lot more than women. Of course, we're all insecure. We're, I believe that we're all very secure born, but insecure adults and grown-ups around you completely strip it. But if you're a boy, the insecurity is tied to your masculinity, so you can never get away from it. For example, as a woman, if the insecurity is with the weight, if she loses the weight, that's gone. But with you as a man, because it's tied to your masculinity, it's always with you. Mm. So, so this is the culture we're upholding, all of us. And where on the timeline, Persia, then, you know, if anthropologically you've looked at this, whereabouts on, and it's interesting that you mentioned China earlier, not that this is linked in any way, but I just watched the um, the new version of Mulan, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously the archetype of the female warrior and breaking all of those ancient Eastern boundaries of the man is a warrior and the lady is matched and she brings honor by marrying a strong man and everything and it's interesting not not to go there right now but you're saying that china is the one that defies this now where on the timeline do you see that this starts to happen is it in line right my instincts my gut tells me is it in line with commercialization and advertising and you know edward bernays in the early days of setting the tone for putting in memes to the culture to create the feeling that we are um, becoming something, becoming something that the culture says. Where, where, does he, where do you see it that it starts to happen? Where do men start to, to feel this pressure? Okay, uh, one quick thing about China. It's not that there's no patriarchy in China. It's just that suicide rate for mm. men is not as high. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but there is patriarchy in China. Yeah. There. Well, that, what I was get what I was getting at is from again without going too deep. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to it. But it was interesting, just going off the top of my head, having just watched that film today. Watching the man, the man is so dominant there. So well, from what I see, anyway, so dominant. And then to think, is that why there is a, a lesser suicide rate? I don't know. No, no because. Um, that is everywhere mm. to, and in a lot of places, uh, in a lot, a lot of times it's the household, it's uh, the Latino culture, the machismo culture. Um, mm. they could be even more intense than Chinese, but that's, right. um, that is something else that is, uh, preventing maybe some other belief that is preventing Chinese men. And I have no idea why. 
So I, I can't get into what I not comfortable. Uh, like you said, you'd have to you'd have to go and live there. Yeah, or <laughs> literally, literally. Years for me to understand, um, which is interesting. But it's not certainly it's not because they are more dominant than other men. No, there I have seen American men. I've seen British men. I've seen uh, Europe, other European men. Um, I've seen men in Asia. Um, and by Asia, I mean uh, South, West Asia, Arabic countries that are extremely dominant. And that's not the case. Mm, and okay. it's, it's mostly, unfortunately, there are a lot of stereotyping. Um, I have seen men who are so overpowering and controlling in the United States as much as I've seen in Saudi Arabia. It's not something that really not that call as we're not that different as much as we'd like to think and as much as media likes to um, make us believe. Well, um, it's nice that you bring it back to media there because I guess the question I'm, I digress from was where does this start to happen? I mean, I'm currently sort of with my own mental health, my own position of being a man, and I filled the questionnaire in today, and you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll come across it, and you maybe have questions for me after, because certain questions, uh, certain answers I give to questions were kind of open ended, because I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I look at the internet now, I look at social media, I look at the way we're communicating, and we've got so much information, so much vanity, so much. Um, so much to live up to whether we know it or not that it feels like that's having a huge effect now and i wonder is it on the timeline when we when the media kicks in when we do start having um you know multimedia television magazines all these things is do, do we see a spike there do we start to see it fall apart there um i wish i could blame it on the media media um accentuates but doesn't create wow. uh, the problem. Media just reflects it, so we see it better. Um, and multimedia reflects it from multiple angle and uh, multiple cultures. But that's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the culture we pass down, generation after generation after generation. We tell men are, um, a lot of men are right now upset with the court system. And uh, when they're getting divorced and custody and when a child or a boy and a girl are raised in a household that the mom and dad tells the boy to sit and put your foot on the coffee table and watch TV until while your sister is help with your dad, while your sister and mom are in the kitchen cooking and bringing the food to you and cleaning up after you. That's not where men have issues with sexism. But when the same culture of sexism goes to the court and men are deemed less, not as good of a parent as a mom um, and the custody majority is given to the woman, that's when men have issues with uh, sexism or, or court system. It's the culture. Media is just showing it to you. It's the culture that we raise our children with. We tell the girl, you are less. Everybody has privilege. Um, and I am talk about this extensively in my upcoming book. Everybody has privilege. We teach a little girl to hand in your privilege uh, to your brother. He sits, puts his foot up, 
you go cook, you clean up after. He has more privilege because she just gave up her purse because she was told to. That's what happens. And we don't have problem with that. Men don't have problem with that. But when the same um, sexism, when men grow older and they have to be the main provider and they have to be responsible for this and that, and there's more pressure on them because they're a man, which makes no sense. Then we see that and we see the lack of balance. And we're all doing this to each other. We're all holding up this culture, most of us ignorantly. We don't know that this is what we're doing. And it's just shining a light on little things and big things that keeps holding up this culture. And when we all know, we put it down. Um, And I tend to use media that can be used in many negative ways to use media to raise awareness that, hey, men are suffering. They're not allowed to ask for help. Um, They're not allowed to be themselves. They have to wear a mask. Well, before the pandemic, men wore masks for ever. (laughs) Wore a mask in the morning. As you said, you have to be a certain way in front of your colleagues or in front of your peers, rather. Um, And that is the mask you wear. And you may or may not take that off with your wife or girlfriend, but you probably have to put another lesser um, series. You still have to play the man. You can't be who you are, which is a man. If you're a man, you don't have to play a man. So that's the problem. And um, understanding how are we all contributing to this and how we can stop, um, which I think Feminists for women are doing have done a really good job, although they are being fought tooth and nail every step, raising awareness. We need to do the same for men. Okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting point of view. So the archetype then in 2020 of a man, describe the archetype that you say the culture sees a man as. It is the same in 2020 and it, as it was in 1920 and as it was centuries before it is the pseudo alpha stereotype it's a man who um is unemotional stoic uh, and that is praised for you to strip yourself from your all your natural emotions um it's praised the only thing that is allowed is anger which i don't call it emotion it's a reaction to uh, an unexpressed emotion, which is sadness most of the time. Uh, So stoic, um, never show emotions, don't ask for help, uh, be very dominant, be a protector, be a provider. um, And basically be everything, masculinity in that sense is defined as opposite of femininity so it's denial of anything feminine so it's a man who is a shell of a human being who is not allowed so much and he either either takes it out on himself or his spouse or children or another man outside so that's why we have such a violent high rate of crime um, and male incarceration because when you don't allow a man to talk, 
to cry to a little boy. There's not a culture who has not told the little boy, don't cry. You're a man, don't cry. We tell a yeah. two-year-old. We tell a three-year-old. That's how cruel we are. Uh, mm-hmm. A three-year-old boy is not a man. As a little kid, he needs to cry. Uh, so is a 30-year-old man. But when we, we, I call it in my book, emotional castration for men. When we don't okay. allow you to express yourself the way you need to. Uh, when we take away your feminine energy, because we're all a combination of masculine and feminine energies. As a woman, I have more feminine energy. And as a man, you have more masculine energy. And that is the difference. But we both have masculine and feminine energies. And a balanced human being is a, is a combination of both. But the stereotype that you were asking is told to be to deny anything feminine. So is a very unbalanced man. And do you think the sadness, Persia, do you think the, the that, that battle that then ensues where the individual, the man is at odds with himself, do you think that's because there's something intrinsic, there's something in his instincts that he knows he should communicate, he knows he wants to communicate, and many things that he's doing he probably is aware of that, uh, for instance, young young guys in the UK, for sure, anyway, the culture in the playground, sort of maybe from secondary school, you know, kind of grade seven, eight, nine, ten, and onwards, you're kind of, you can end up in what I refer to as kind of a wolf pack culture. You know, you and your guys are in a gang and tends to be the most dominant guy in the gang is 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 the toughest guy or the loudest guy and all of those those elements you've spoken of where we are masculine but i feel like some of the sadness and some of the repercussions that that happen are because we must know instinctively and intrinsically that we need to communicate and we want to and that mask that we keep putting on we we must be aware of it on some level and it's interesting to me like i i myself i've been i've been quite lucky i i imagine that when we talk about the balance of i invite my femininity and i didn't realize it when i was a kid i was in bands from a young age from about 13 and um i might wear simple thing simple example might be like i might defy like the um the fashion of the time or the fashion that's expected from you know the a footballing um young lad from the part of the football team uh, i guess like a jock you might say i think over in america um and i might because i was in a band i might wear like a silk scarf and a crazy different pair of shoes and then i would risk a lot of backlash from my peers you know what you wearing you faggot you you look like a right whatever a lot all those nasty but i was balanced enough to be able to um to kind of take that and still pursue enough. Now, I don't know if that's because my love for music was enough to get me over the line or whether I've got a balance, I don't, who knows? And there must be guys out there that obviously are in better balance, but the majority, we seem to be stuck behind that mask. And I feel like we know it. I think a lot of us know it, but it's almost as if the further we go on the journey, the more difficult it becomes to turn around. So yeah, you brought up a lot of good means uh, the wolf pack that you talked about with boys it's not natural it's learned behavior boys um, learn at around 9 10 11 to start putting a mask on 
uh, they, they're at that age old enough to know what is considered masculine in their society and what it's not. So the mask that men, grown men put on every morning, uh, they start wearing it at that young age. Um, and it is a learned behavior in their families. And because it's so common, because patriarchy is the same, it's, it's the same kind of virus in every household. They know that, oh, if I, if I act a boy that is naturally more aggressive is going to take the lead and crush the boy who's naturally more gentle and not respect him as much because he has seen his mom, dad, grandfather not to do that. So, and, and all the other boys have seen the same thing. So what that wolf pack is a completely learned behavior and not a natural behavior. Um, and regarding what you did, which was um, kept your balance, that shows security because you said, I'm going to wear the silk scarf and I'm, I know I'm going to be scolded but I'm strong enough to take it mm-hmm. and stick to my um, identity, who I am. So that shows that you have a lot less insecure masculinity. Your masculinity is more secure than someone who would love to wear that scarf and puts it down because he does, he thinks he can't handle. But so that is, um, we're, we're all born balanced. We're all born um good good to i think it's it's probably just to jump in persia quickly i must i feel like i must caveat that a little bit because what i am aware of as i've grown older is i was absolutely a victim of the wolf mentality and some of my behavior when i was a young man because where my school was uh, my high school was in between in, in the UK, we call them council estates. So in the U, in, in the US, it might be sort of project areas, you know, a much more uh, impoverished area of living. Uh, and it was rough. You're right, Aidan? Sorry. Is this, um, yeah, and it was rough. And I was absolutely guilty of knowing, and I knew this as a young guy. I was a footballer, I was a sports person, and I was um, what you might consider reasonably high ranking in the, in the, in the male part of my school um and i was aware and my behavior at times was absolutely awful in the way of using that masculinity using that alpha energy and as you mentioned a moment ago maybe crushing the more sensitive person because i was in a situation where we're all there and i want to get those props i want that affirmation i want to instill my position so i had a strange time because i would feel guilty often so when i was in the the the, the kind of um, the alpha gang, if you like, I was, as I mentioned, I was into my music. I was in bands. I was confident because of that, I guess, to wear what I wanted to wear and be a bit different from the, the main guys. But then I would also have friends who were the sensitive kids. And in the UK, we call them the, the geeks and the dweebs. And just the, and now I'm older, I realize they were just the nice kids who were just... They weren't trying to prove anything or win anything or, you know, they were just nice kids who had to put up with a barrage of nonsense from people like me at times who were actually looking back insecure and just trying to hold my position. So I just, I needed to get that in there. Sorry to interrupt you, but on reflection of what I'd said, I didn't want it to seem like I'm just some balanced person because I wasn't, I was rough and I was on the receiving end of rough, but I was kind of aware of it though. 
looking back, I was aware of the mask. And like when I'm with these guys, I'm kind of a bit more macho. And when I'm with these guys, I can let it go a bit, you know, and I can probably just be me more actually on reflection, looking at it. So you're guilty of the same thing that we're all guilty. You were groomed by the same culture. Um, it is easy to look back and say, oh, that was wrong. That was ignorant. That was wrong of me. Um, I have a younger brother and I was a teenager and he was probably five years old and I was crying because he had a boo-boo in his hand and I told him repeatedly that men don't cry because I had heard other people say it. I was like, I was just repeating it ignorantly. Um, as a grown woman, I've apologized to him, but probably the damage that it made at the time, um, he needs to deal with that, the damage that I caused. Um, so it's easy to look back and say, I did this and I was wrong uh, because we we're all raised with the same culture, mm. more in some household, less in some. Um, so that is something that is on you as if you're a father to make sure it's not passed down to the next generation. Your son, teenagers at this time, even with the most most um, aware parents, it still can happen because it, it's with other boys and they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be singled out. So it takes a couple of generations for us to be able to reduce those male suicide rates. But it is it is us realizing what how, how we were groomed by the culture. Stop it and stop grooming our children or allowing um, our children to be groomed by our by their grandparents parents or uncle and say no this is not how i'm raising my kid but the fact that you you are guilty of like i am um it's all of us and that doesn't matter that life is about evolution it's not just evolution of darwinian evolution that we have all um come to this this far but in single life time you and i the point of it in my opinion, is evolution of mind and spirit. So if we learned um, a tragic behavior that was abusive to others, working together, understanding and correcting and moving forward, not allowing ourselves to do that again, not allowing ourselves to seek validation by putting down someone whose masculinity doesn't look like ours. Um, that is what life is about. Not looking back and regretting and blaming. Looking forward, how can I make differences, make change, like by what you're doing with your podcast, uh, Raising Awareness? Mm. Oh, thank you. That's lovely to hear because I, on in recent years, you know, hence, you know, following pages like yours, reading people like Jordan Peterson in re recent years and, and various writers and I guess my podcast was born out of this podcast to the chat is actually born out of my fascination with childhood as a whole, because I think the trajectory, as you've mentioned, things that get said, little granular details of nuance in the, in the society and the culture of the wider culture and the culture in the home, they set up so much of the trajectory that we're going to follow and 
trauma seems to not be far away from any single human at any point and however trivial we might think it is so this podcast has been born out of that my my family broke up when i was young my mother and and father had a divorce a messy divorce when i was about seven and i'm the oldest of three at the time and we were kind of weaponized the children were weaponized and looking back and now looking at my family my wider family i can see now um, as I've gone soul searching for myself to try and repair myself and 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 find whatever the the issues are, just reading, learning, reading, learning. That I look around at, at that family now, my wider family, my folks and my siblings, and I see the damage. I see it. We're not connected. You know, there's there's just so much damage that was done in those early days. And and I do look back at myself, and as you've just eloquently said, you know, yeah, we do look back. We're all guilty of it. But it's how we evolve and learn those lessons and now being a father i have a stepdaughter who's 20 i've got three children six five and three and one of the most important in instincts i have now and feelings is to just create an environment for them um that is just an open environment a balanced environment and hearing you say the things you've said so far really gives me you know um a real sense of calm in, in 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 the world i'm trying to create because it's so it's so strange to look back on your own mistakes or your own storyline and realize how, how how difficult circumstances are on reflection when you didn't know it at the time and it's very easy to kind of make sort of justifications and without knowing it staying on the path and that that for me, this podcast, as you mentioned, sort of trying to raise awareness, having these kinds of conversations, that's that's um, that's really, really rewarding to, to hear that. So <laughs> we'll keep on doing that. <laughs> well, uh, it's my pleasure to be a part of this. Um, when you, I just want to mention one thing uh, when you talk about your children. Um, I think what I'd like to highlight is that fathers have a lot more um, important job than we originally thought. Um, usually, culturally, men fathers are second adult who goes and gets the diaper and makes the money um, and helps out. Um, and the main parent is the mother. And that is a very wrong way of looking at the family culture. Um, fathers have incredibly, incredibly sensitive job um, for you to teach your daughter by being um, in front of her, being vulnerable, by showing emotions. She's not going to, first of all, she's not going to be raised like me to tell her uh, little boy don't cry, men don't cry till a five-year-old boy. And when she is with a man, she's not going to expect him to put a mask on in front of her because she knows that her father could be gentle and very strong at the same time, could show emotions, but be very secure, masculine man at the same time. And it's, it's breaking these for not just your son teaching him, mm -hmm. breaking because women we are under the culture of obviously influence of patriarchy as well which is equally as damaging to us but that has been talked about by thankfully by feminists for a few decades now but we don't dare to talk about the damage of patriarchy to men which is literally killing them 
Mm. And the reward, uh, you know, when I when I lay with my daughter, she's three, she's the youngest. Um, when I lay with her in the evening and we read a book or I make up a story to tell her and she cuddles into me and we, you know, and I, I can just lose myself in just the, in the, the, the moment. And I can be a three-year-old and I can be, you know, and I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. I love that. I love that just as I did with my boys, just as I did with my stepdaughter many, many, many years ago. And it's really rewarding and coming back around to the, to, to men and us being stuck in this shadow of ourselves. The rewards that we can get back from opening up, you know, the, 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 the lines of communication and, and catharsism that we can create is, is marvelous. It's really nice when you do actually get something off your chest or you do have a moment where you lose control and you you cry and you realize it's okay and somebody loves you and somebody cuddles you and somebody guides you it's really really rewarding how do we how do we well we i guess we have covered it in the sense that it's a generational thing and we have to create those environments one at a time and but how does the culture change persia how do we how do we alter culture the most important thing is which is um my biggest project is to eradicate insecure masculinity. When you're, you just mentioned that when you get something off your chest or when you do something, you just feel good. Practicing stoic, being stoic, practicing stoicism is, um, I apologize for using this, but that is the best way of saying it, is emotional constipation. Yep. So if you walk around 24 hours holding everything like that, that is too much work, too much pressure. And it's eating you up from inside. You think that's stoicism and there's some kind of honorable uh, BS comes with it. Excuse my language, but it's really isn't. It really, there's nothing honorable. There's nothing um, good about you holding on and not revealing who you are and not having to show your humanity. So, but, and that comes from insecure masculinity. So the more we work on ourselves, the more we show our children, what does it mean to be a secure man, a secure woman? And we pass that on and we demonstrate that we, when you, when you demonstrate that other people learn from you. So this is the way that you can use media in a very positive way and have people around the world to watch and listen. And Hey, this is what I show. This is how I'm comfortable with my with being vulnerable. This is where I show you how much more strength it takes to show vulnerability than being stoic and holding everything. Um, that modeling, it doesn't have to take generations. It works right now. A boy somewhere in the world who has stumbled upon your podcast and listens and you are modeling this when maybe his father is not. And he's searching for something because he knows deep down what his father is doing is not right, but he doesn't know what the right way is. And he stumbles upon your podcast and watches and hears and sees another man with another in another culture with another language. With the, mas with the masculine part, the human part connects regardless mm -hmm. of other differences. 
and he will change. That is how we by spreading it. And and that is for right now for this generation. That's interesting because I've had exactly that experience in two slightly different ways, um, both American podcasts. So obviously there's an enormous podcast from your country that's taken over the world, the Joe Rogan experience. Um, I, I started to listen to that podcast that came into my life just by strange, I don't know even, I can't even remember, but it came into my life in about, about a year into him doing that podcast when he was still just in his house, you know, just having open conversations. And what struck me was that I knew Joe Rogan, not as a comedian or not from Fear Factor, but I knew him from a commentator from an MMA um, set up in the UFC. So, I, and he's, you know, he works out and all the archetypes, bald head, tattoos, you know, the whole thing. And the more I listened to him with the various different guests, the more I started to recognize exactly that. The, here is a man who is all of the, culture's archetypes on the one hand you know strong um a hunter all these things but then always showing a vulnerability and a sensitivity and a doting father you know and a real release of his feminine side all the time and very balanced with it and a real a real kind of um, impact on me hugely and at the same time well maybe a little later i came across a, a dr christopher ryan who's an anthropologist. He wrote a book, Sex at Dawn, which was a bestseller, I think. Um, and he started a podcast. And he's a bit like an uncle figure in a similar way. He's a, he's a, he's obviously an academic, but he he's kind of defied the, the, the archetype of that because he lives in his van for the summers and drives around, does his podcast by literally... He's, he lives in his van. He might drive through Colorado, pull up at a site somewhere or in some place and see some other people and interview these other people. And these wonderful conversations happen. But he talks a lot about what it is to be human, what it is to be a man, what it is to be sensitive. And and those two guys, those two podcasts for me, on two levels, change so much because the podcast platform itself or the podcast medium is so different to... I mean, it's, it feels normal now, but at that time it was so different because it wasn't getting stopped every 15 minutes to give you four minutes of advertising and ideas and memes being fired into, you know, that have been absolutely strategy, you know, there's been a strategy to put those adverts on to catch this demographic, to tune whoever's watching to buy this product or think this way. And watching these, as I said, this is a guy in his house with a camera just chatting for a long time, two hours, three hours, openly in all areas of, about everything. And that, as you mentioned, that human feeling, that feeling of like, oh, wow, this, 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 this is real. I can harness this. That, that was really empowering to me. And as I say, the two guys that I mentioned there in particular had, had for me, that balance. They were sort of allowing me to think, oh, actually, yeah, you can, you can be, I can let that side of me be what it is. It is okay, you know, and and really powerful. I think podcasts have been so powerful. Yeah, and then what you can do for um, other men, other boys, mm. young men, mm. uh, younger men who are really um, they 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 just re reject or rejecting wearing the masks, but the pressure on them has not changed. Because the father is still scared, the mother is still scared. 
the child is rejecting, but the pressure has not changed. So that creates even more pressure. So for them to have a role model, a positive role model to see, hey, it's okay. I can be mom, dad. I'm going to be okay. Let me be. Don't shape my masculinity. Don't tell me what color to wear, what to do, how to act, what to play, what not to do. Um, I, when, when we teach a boy that your masculinity doesn't change, you don't need to man up because you're already a man. You don't need to um, do masculine, act. there are no activities that are masculine. Whatever you do becomes a masculine activity because you give identity to the activity. Sports are not masculine activities. Sports are just an activity that boys do more often or they're, whether they're forced or they're very active and they want to do. But if a man is washing dishes, that washing dishes becomes a masculine activity because he gives masculine identity to the activity. That activity is not giving it to him. That is yeah. what we need to instill in them, that to reduce that insecure masculinity, that your masculinity, whether you bake a cookie or play sports, your masculinity is going to go up and down, up and that is the most ridiculous notion. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do as a man, as a boy, that becomes a masculine acti- activity and done. That's it. So yeah. a lot of Fathers ask me, what do I do with my son? What activities? I'm like, whatever you do with your son, just because it's you and your son doing it, whatever you're doing, that is a masculine activity. Done. You are the one who's giving it identity, not the other way around. This seems very basic to me. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's a no-brainer, but that's not the case. That is not the case. There have been, I have been told, stories of men being in the boys or young men being in the kitchen and being beaten the pulp by um, father's belt because it was in the kitchen. Yeah, that's crazy. I have so many of those stories. Wow. Wow. It's almost like, it's almost like, um, the fear, like you said, the, the fear of breaking the convention. I, I like the way you put that in the way that whatever you're doing is masculine because it's you and your boy, whatever, whatever you're doing. If, if you know, mum's gone out shopping and dad says, do you know what would be nice? You know, let's get, this, let's get the house squared up, boy, for when your mum gets back and then we can chill out this afternoon. That's really powerful, isn't it? I think. It's, it's security. It's being secure. It's, it's being... A, a man who has multi-dimensions as you are naturally and not being um, put in a box that the, the one, two, three, this, this is all you're allowed to do. Limited. What kind of, what kind of life is that? I have never been limited, nothing nearly close to that. And I can't even imagine how it is to be a man. And I, to be honest, I don't, I'm glad I'm not. <laughs> Not just because I enjoy being a woman, because the restrictions, what men have to do, um, is just unimaginable to me. Uh, And the restrictions that are on, I'm by no means minimizing the restrictions, the indoctrinations, the pressure that is on women, what Mm -hmm. we're just talking about right now. Of course. And where do you feel like then, Persia, at the moment? Again, I, I think I probably know the answer, but with social media in particular, 
I mean, we see lots of statistics and there's lots of data that shows the effect of social media on children as a whole. There's certainly stuff that I've read that seems that it's having a, a big effect on young ladies, young girls, um, maybe more so than boys. Uh, I watched recently um, a documentary called Childhood 2.0. I think I saw it on, um, we'll link it in, Aidan, if you, if you can remember that. But Childhood 2.0 on YouTube, which I found to be fascinating, talking about how young people are obviously re literally remapping their, their, their social constructs and their, their, their cognitive mapping of recognizing each other in groups and in photos and in these kind of peer structures of hierarchy, not just in flesh in the playground or in the classroom, but within the digital realm and in, in the phones and the expectations. So girls look fantastic in, in their filtered picture with their good side and all this. And the boys are demanding, um, sort of selfies from girls and, and, and this whole internet thing that's playing out for, for kids. Where do you, where do you, what impacts that having on, on the masculinity and what, what does it, you know, I know we don't want to go into the, into the female side too much and, and dilute it, but where, where's that going? Do you, do you worry about that or where, where do you sit with that? I think that's um, more decline of humanity than anything else. Right. Um, just stripping kids from their identity and their authenticity and their their security and turning them into puppets. Mm. Now, this is how the puppet should look like. And if you don't look like that, here's a filter. So you look like that puppet. So you get likes. And um, I think that's in general decline of humanity. And that's the scarier and rather bigger topic. Mm. And I, I just think that parents should um, really limit um, screen time mm. and no social media accounts for children until they're at least 15, 16. Wow. Just, yeah. shoot them. Just, just give them a good foundation before throwing them into the wolves of social media and internet and um, this really ugly culture of seeking approval um, from outside by followers and likes and just being complete a shell of a human being walking around. Uh, how many likes did I get? How many um, more followers I have compared mm -hmm. to you? So just I, I just don't think children should have social media accounts until they're 16. It's mm. not for them. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. So you're writing a book, Adorable Men. How has that been? How is it going? And I uh, I always like to ask that question because, as I mentioned, Dr. Christopher Ryan, he's written a couple of books and he always talks about it as it's such a difficult thing, such a disciplined thing, such a, um, yeah, a, a task. So how's it going for you, um, Persia? Uh, so first of all, we're um, revamping the website and uh, hopefully it'll be done sometime in December. It's proves to be a lot of work, a lot of detailed work. I, I love paying attention to details. And um, along with that, the name of the book has changed, evolved. Um, I liked it because uh, we call men uh, protectors, warriors, all of this, but we don't call them adorable. 
which mm. most men are. And that was just, uh, that was originally the name of the book. Um, but that is the idea of looking at men in a different way, humanizing men. Um, but the name of the book now is uh, The Masculinity Handbook. Mm. Um, and the writing is the most cathartic process for me. Um, in 2020, the pandemic um, just changed plans so much. I have not actually been writing since February. And it feels like a part of me has not been, has completely been ignored. So I'm looking forward to early 2020, getting back to writing and finishing it up. Um, and sometime in 2021, um, for it to come out, it's not a task. It's a pleasure. I mm -hmm. love writing and doing that. And uh, it's, um, to be honest, I'm very proud of it. I think it's going to be a really good book. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, a book I read when it came out, that had an impact on me in many different ways was 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. So what do you make of Jordan? Because Jordan touches on the patriarchy obviously a lot. He's been grilled a lot about uh, equal outcome, equal um, across the board. And he's got he's a very polarizing character. And I'm interested because for me, as a bystander who's absorbing elements of culture and ideas that, that are resonating within me. I feel like your message, when, when I hear certain, certain conversations with Jordan, I feel like this message comes through. So where do you stand with, with his work? And did you read 12 rules and you know, how do you feel about his work? Um, all I have to say about that is I'm very disappointed in people who um, have polarizing messages and uh, tribalism is right now with the current climate especially in the United States but most everywhere uh, tribalism and polarization and uh, I'm better than you we versus you we're the more uh, moral you you have less morality we're uh, better I mean just that is a culture that has been perpetuated even more by social media, by internet and social media and made it very easy. Um, but it is something in us who want so much, who seek so much validation from outside of ourselves that uh, whether it's, I'm, I want to seek superiority over you because of my nationality or my gender or the melanin in my skin, uh, anything that I haven't worked for and anything that I haven't earned I demand superiority mm -hmm. over your group because of that and polarizing I think that is extremely unfortunate um, my work has showed that people globally if you just peel a few little layers of the onion which is the, the look or the language or the the first layer of culture deep down where all these men all these human beings are all the same they have the same pain they have the same str struggles and um 
winding with our humanities and looking at what can I, how can I connect with someone so far away that I may not speak their language, I may not understand their folk and their culture, but my humanity connects with his. That is how we can turn around so much problems and so much um, issues right now that we see um, with hate, with tribalism, with polarization. So a lot of work in the opposite of that polarization needs to be done. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I see it. It seems to be... um with social media in particular and in the UK now with obviously the pandemic and obviously with you guys, you've just had a a pretty crazy election and there's all sorts of, I mean, the polarization is off the charts, you know, the tribalism is off the charts. And on top of that, there seems to be folly and manipulation within the channels of how we communicate now within the Twitters. And as you know, it really is, it's difficult. It's a difficult, difficult, difficult time. When we see, um kind of a feminist a classic kind of feminist um argument on for instance a twitter or a facebook do you ever do you ever see feminists that are doing work that maybe goes against this message when when then when sometimes it goes too far it's some in some facets of feminism where the damage is 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 adding to the masculinity issue. Do you ever come across that? Yes. Yes. I'm glad you asked that. I would like to address that. Um, feminism is very simple. Gender equality. What does that mean? Equal rights and respects for both genders. It's really not even about women. It's about gender equality. And anyone who does not abide by that is not a feminist. It's that simple. I see a lot of these questions asked of me, how about radical feminists who are man-hating? And my answer is that there is no such a thing as radical feminist. If a woman is a man-hater, she's not a feminist. Don't call it radical feminist because you're but by calling it a radical feminist or modern feminist or this kind of feminist or that kind of feminist, um, and those are bad, but you're good, because I hear that a lot. Um, we are just helping patriarchy destroy uh, the, the image of feminism, that there are some bad feminists. No, if they're man-haters, they're not feminists. It's, it's that simple. Why? Because feminism is very simple. Gender equality, equal rights and respects. If you don't do that, don't call yourself a feminist. You're not. I call these people out. I don't call them feminists, radical feminists. Mm -hmm. I call them out. You are not a feminist. You are a coward who is hiding behind feminism to justify your nasty anger. That's it. You're not a feminist by any means. I am a feminist. And I work to promote equality in areas that men don't have. For men. Mm -hmm. And I defend women's rights with everything I have, and I always have. Mm -hmm. But my main focus is on men right now because I don't feel like there's gender equality in some areas for both genders. But a lot of great 
quality, honest feminists are working on that. And when it came to men's side, I didn't see a lot of work. And the work that I saw was very hostile to women. And that's not going to be conducive. That's to what we need to do. That's not going to be helpful. If you protect men's rights by being nasty to women, that's counterproductive. Mm. So if you want to raise men up, we need to be able to, we can't put women down and ask men to step on them to raise men up. That is not how it works. So for men's rights groups who are extremely hostile to women or what they call erroneously radical feminists who are hostile to men, those are counterproductive. They're making it worse. Those are not feminists and those are not helping men's rights. Mm. So these people need to be called out and not be allowed to hide behind men's rights, which is the honorable um, purpose or feminism, which is an honorable purpose, don't hide your nasty anger, hate, hatred behind these titles. So instead of saying, yeah, men's rights groups are this, or fem- radical feminists are that, just call them out. They're not. It's, it's actually that simple. Right. And do you feel like, is misogyny, is, is that... Is that still a, a major contributor to the, the out of balance that we we're faced with at the moment? Do we see as much misogyny as we once did? It's unfortunately case by case. So you can come across a man who is extremely respectful and you can come across a man that just raises the hair on the back of your neck. Uh, how much he hates women. Um, So a lot of time I've talked to men who are misogynists. This is what his dad did. It's a learned behavior. A lot of times it is a personal experience. He was somehow either if he had a narcissistic mother, if a mother was abusive in some other ways, Um, then he can have a very negative outlook on women. But usually it's because that was the father's outlook, because he was disrespectful, because he, his favorite pastime was making fun of a weaker, second-class citizen, inferior gender. So a lot of it is, uh, and and men think that... um, like I've talked to a lot of men who say, oh, there are no alpha women. There are no dominant women. And if you are so scared and so weak not to recognize that there are some women who are dominant and alpha and um, have that same kind of personality, then that is your fear showing up that you need to be, that, that all comes back to superiority, which misogyny or misandry or racism is only a symptom of superior of greater superiority complex and problem so it can come out if i have a superiority complex it can come out either through racism or being superior to men or being superior to women or being superior to um uh, as as an alpha man being superior to more gentlemen and calling them beta derogate in a derogatory manner beta or submissive so 
it's the problem of superiority, unfortunately, that misogyny. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we're um, we're up against it, aren't we? In times of uh, global uncertainty, uh, uh, for me, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, Persia, you know, I feel like the internet is and the way the the amount of communication that's happening. There's so much great great stuff that's come from the internet but i feel like on a communicating level we're putting ideas and shouting our opinions at one another so much more than maybe we're actually living our lives you know and we're getting on i think a lot of us are are attaching to ideas attaching to um social media memes and spending so much time sort of in that tribal battle as opposed to stopping and looking around in your actual real life and living within that and trying to make that smaller existence better instead of looking for something more to attach to in this digital realm i, I all these podcasts are you know i end up in some way or another getting back to this idea because it's what i'm i'm battling with all the time which is i need to put my phone down or, or disconnect from the, the the chamber of just as you mentioned the polarizing ideas that seems to, seems to be becoming more and more polarized all the time. I can't, we can't offend anybody. We can't. We can't. Um, the, the censorship. Everything that's happening. We're kind of boxing ourselves into such polarizing moments and not actually spending the time in, in our lives. And that's something I'm really working on now. And I think. Um, if I can get that phone out of my hand a bit and be present in the moment and apply what you've been saying, being present with my children, um, being aware of them, that's probably the best thing I can do at the moment. And I think probably most of us. I couldn't agree more. So internet is here to stay. Social media is here to stay. Mm. Um, Unkind people are always around. Hatred, unfortunately, is always going to be around. So what's, what are we going to do? What's the, how are we going to, in the midst of this um, madness, um, what is the best course of action? Um, you are a father. You are working. You have a life and you would like to understand how to uh, unplug and be with your family. So I... I'm very fortunate to be able to uh, have fathers like you in, in my community who I'm interviewing right now. And they, they're working full time. They're living in the same polarized, uh, hectic society as the rest of us. But they find time to hours, few hours a day to spend with their families in a very meaningful, present way. And I'm interviewing them to, um, and they're, they're going to be on on the page and on the new website starting 2021, um, telling us their secrets. How do you do that? How are you, um, as a husband, as a father who works full-time, it's not a stay-at-home father, um, how do you still find time to make all these memories with your children, not be online? Um, not just just put the phone down and um, just create these wonderful experiences that so many of them send me 
videos and show me. So let's, instead of being worried about what are we going to do in this madness, we have this internet, we have this social media, let's focus our attention instead of allowing it to go 100 different places. Let's find a few communities that are helping to connect us, helping to teach us, helping uh, support us, um, whether it is emotionally, whether it is with some kinds of education. And uh, let that be an anchor that keeps us from kind of losing our minds. That's what we need. That's how we can harness the positive side of the internet. And I have been asked that, so I'm creating that community and hopefully it will be ready sometime in 2021. So, and that is an online community. So yes, internet can be draining, polarizing, um, and it can have a lot of negative, but since it's here to stay, let's see what, how can we turn it into something positive? Absolutely. And you mentioned you're creating a community. So the Positive Masculinity Academy Let's let's tell people a bit about that. So am I right in saying that you're creating, uh, as you mentioned, a community, but also a, a way of offering some kind of education, some 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 kind of inroads to people to to learn ways of implementing all these ideas? Yes. So I'm creating an um, a community outside social media. So we have the social media pages um, on Instagram, but and and that is that has been cathartic for me more than anyone else. And I love how people are vulnerable and come because I thought men talked to me because it was private. Um, but when they come on the page and they say, hey, I was a victim of domestic violence. I was a victim of sexual violence. For the world to see, that was just something unexpected for me. Because uh, it was not unexpected that they opened up in private, but when they are willing to talk about it in public, that just shows goes to show how much there is a need for this. So I'm creating this um, community outside social media, and I think that is a community twenty four accessible twenty four hours, one for men, one for women separately, because this healing needs to be with peers. Uh, the social media is co-ed. It's wonderful. We have the input of both sexes, but um, I feel like it's best to have two separate communities, one for men, one for women, and allow them to connect. Because a lot of communities for men is around uh, physical fitness or business um, or how to get your, you know, entrepreneurship. And those are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But what do you do when you're handed, um, divorce papers? What do you do when your girlfriend breaks up? What do you do when you lose your father? How do you handle those emotions? How do you handle all of that? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do when you're faced with ch- child custody court procedures? Um, having a place to go, to talk to, that not only you get support of your peers, a very supporting non-judgmental place, but also there's monthly education on these subjects. Um, and there's a library that you can go back to 
I think that is something that's very, very, very needed for men. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. And we will point people towards your pages as we always do. I want to say a massive thank you for your time, Persia. You're on New York time. Um, we had a little bit of um, a situation. Your internet got cut off because you, yeah, things happening with windy storms and stuff. But we got there and uh, we've tried to put this together for a little while, haven't we? And it's it's happened. And I'm really, really grateful. I can't wait to get this uh, to the, to the to the chat listeners. I know we have a lot of young men listening. Um, and I'm really keen for them to to get to know your work and we will point them to the page Positive Masculinity Academy on Instagram. There's a link there within the Instagram to that to that community you're building with that outside of it. The book then, which was Adorable Men, is now working title of uh, the Masculinity Handbook. The Masculinity Handbook. And that's gonna be ready. Is that gonna be next year, twenty one? For sure. Excellent. Yes. That is the next big focus after finishing the website. They're finishing the website, updating the website sometime in December this month. Mm-hmm. And hopefully all um, energy will be focused on finishing the book, publishing that and creating the communities that I just mentioned. You're doing a lot of really, really great work, Persia. It really is. And uh, we send great thanks from the UK. Thank you so much for your time, for your podcast, for caring. Um, I'm very grateful to good men like you who are helping other men to reduce the pain. Globally. Well, you, I'm sure you'll read my, um, like I say, I took the survey earlier. And if you want to come back to me on any of my, my answers, then I'd love to, to take this again privately and we can, we can chat and, you know, I'd, I'd love, to, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Persia. Thank you. You take, take care. care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Chew the Chat podcast. Thank you for listening to Chew the Chat podcast. Chew the Cat. I, d- I want to say my own words. Go on then. Very angry. And there you go. Dr. Persia Jamshidi, all the way from New York. I really enjoyed that. I took a lot from that. um, After the fact, after the podcast, producer Aidan and I, we always sit down and I always ask him for his feedback and he's an intelligent boy and reads a lot of philosophy and always has a an interesting angle and take on it. And um, yeah, we had a a chat and there were some angles in there that that Aidan picked up on that I've since felt come back in the... um, in the in the comments and in the messages coming back from when this went out on Friday night. So as you guys are picking it up now, it comes out, the audio always comes out on a Monday morning and you grab it from after there, whenever. But the Friday night prior to that is at eight o'clock is when these these episodes premiere in video form. And yeah, we got some, some messages and, and comments come back and polarising. So it's interesting, isn't it? As I mentioned in the intro, you know, Persia seemed to, indirectly for me, um, and, and fairly and diplomatically sort of say that Jordan was very polarising. And the feedback has been that, from some people, that that's how Persia is to them. Now, for me, as I refer to the conversation I have with Aidan, is, is I try and take in all these conversations with that in mind anyway. You know, like I cannot be black or white or... 
you know, left or right or, you know, whatever the tribal point of view is, it's very difficult. You pick the bones out of things, or I do at least, and I can see where someone sort of does jive with my my instinct and sometimes I can feel when it pushes back against them. But I think you have to listen to yourself carefully in those moments and remember that that's your bias, it's your lineage, it's your known safety net of the justifications of the structures that you've built for yourself. So it's very, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I welcome it. I welcome that those conversations, those moments, and thank you for commenting, and we appreciate it, and people sending us, you know, their, their, their thoughts on these conversations because that's what we need. And all the, all aside from this conversation or a Jordan Peterson or whoever, in this moment, in this climate of conversation in the world globally, whether that's in the internet or if it's in the street or on the local Facebook page or on the park or in the shop, in the gym, we must remember to speak our minds and speak our minds with respect and, and but with truth because we're losing that. It's being rubber stamped that, you know, via the internet communication, you must be on one side or the other. You're a racist, you're not a racist. You're a fat shamer, you're not a fat shamer. You know, you're a bully, you're not a bully. You're a troll, you're not a troll. It's like fucking outrageous. And we really must remember to stick with our truth, not be afraid to speak our truth, but speak it with respect and speak it with um, an informed uh, understanding that not everyone's the same, you know. And let's let's live with that and let's keep that about us because that's one of the defining factors of who we are. Anyway. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Next week we go in with an MMA fighter, cage champion, middleweight champion, Ryan Crane. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you that. It's really interesting. And in a strange way, we keep with the theme of what it is to be a man. And, you know, obviously MMA fighting from a conversation like that you've just heard. Um, there's some indirect parallels that we live each day that I think are really interesting from a different point of view so thank you everybody thank you to everybody subscribing liking sharing jumping on the Instagram that's slowly ticking up appreciate it um, I no longer have my personal Instagram moving or anything so I'm probably going to use a little bit more of the Chew the Chat Instagram to just kind of document life behind a podcast curtain um, I'm again at odds with it I just fucking you know putting that phone in my hand and flapping about about putting stuff in it cracks me up but for now I'm going to keep trying to get this podcast out there and you know keep engaging people with who might enjoy it or might take something from it I know wholeheartedly that the intention with this podcast is true and real and we want to have honest conversations we want to create positive environment and positive messages and positive change and so I'm kind of telling myself that the Instagram is is just a, an arm of that that helps to, to maybe in, in drive people towards the podcast and for you guys to share stuff or whatever. So I'm going to stick with it for now, but I do battle with it. But I am going to I am going to take a step and use the story a bit more and sort of let you guys in behind the curtain. But anyway, enough. Take care of yourselves, brothers and sisters. Much love. Peace. <laughs>